For seven years, we, my partner and I, lived in a house with a fireplace. The main reason we bought the house was price and bedroom sizes and his 45-minute commute to work, but the fireplace was the kind of thing you brought up when telling people excitedly that you're getting a house. It was like, yeah, house, I know, after all that searching, and it has a fireplace. We lived there seven years. We never, ever used the fireplace. Sometimes when you're on the other side of something, you can't believe the version of you that was on the during side. How did I own a fireplace and not use it? How did I own a fireplace for seven years and not use it? If I had a fireplace now, I wouldn't take it for granted. I wouldn't ignore it. But if you wait like two or three more minutes, you know, like what the bottle of conditioner says you should be doing because we're in the shower and you're conditioning your hair because that's where you do your most thinking about seven years ago is in the shower. Anyway, you wait those two or three minutes and you remember exactly why you didn't use the fireplace. You remember how bone-tired twin babies made you. That lighting, stoking, and later cleaning up a fire seemed an egregious add-on chore. Why would you use a fireplace? You remember you never got around to buying a chimney cap, so you feared an animal might have fallen down and died in the flu. And the ordeal of lighting a fire with an unknown carcass in the flu was circumventable, so you circumvented it. You remember ever since the twins were born, all you thought about was death. Possible, plausible death was everywhere. Lighting a contained fire in a place for fires was still too risky. Any one of, or all four of us, could die because of it. Why would I use a fireplace if I didn't even know how to sit down and enjoy one? I could have never lit a fire any one of the days of that entire seven years. We've since moved to a house with even bigger bedrooms, a walkable commute. This time, no fireplace. The twins have aged. Even the one that came after the twins has aged. And I shop with lists now, so I bet I would have bought a cap for the chimney if we now had a chimney. And lighting and stoking and cleaning up after a fire doesn't sound so insurmountable anymore. So in the moments when I forget how I used to cope in a different situation as a different version of me, I say, how the hell do you own a fireplace and not light it? Because I'm at a place where I could light it. I'm at a place now where I couldn't not light it. The only problem is now, just as I'm ready to luxuriate in front of a fire, I haven't got one. In this new situation, I haven't got a fireplace. And in my new version of myself, most days, I don't even have a fire in me. Today, we're talking with Fiona, a local high school English teacher a parent of two, a type one diabetic of almost every year of her life. We're gonna hear about some of the ways she's navigated this disease, definable chapters of how she used to manage and how she manages now. And of course, we will hear about that time something scary happened and what life has been like in the during 
and in the after. For Fiona and many, many like her, I guess the after remains a during. The situation not as easily remedied as garnering the strength to light a fire or acquiring a place where you can light one or put one out at your leisure. Here's me talking with Fiona. That wasn't supposed to happen, no, not at all. No, not at all. No, not at all. No, not at all. That wasn't supposed to happen. Welcome to the studio. This is very cool. Yeah. I know. I understand none of it. Like, it's It's all very fancy to me. Look at that. Look at that cord. Is it a cord? Is it a wire? As I I fiddle with them, this (laughs) headphone thing. So I want to say, before we get started, I was wondering if you could go over with me one more time, because I'm such a good friend and I've learned the technology so well. Mm -hmm. Can you go over one more time? that crazy app that you have on your phone and like the steps that you go through to check your insulin. Okay, so there's three different apps. There's three! (laughs) And one of them's not working, which has actually been a problem. So my blood sugar via Bluetooth from my CGM, Mm -hmm. continuous glucose monitor, which is called the Dexcom. There's different kinds and versions and Mm -hmm. I have a Dexcom. Um, goes to the Dexcom app where I can check what my blood sugar is and look at trends. And I can see like a three-hour graph up to a 24-hour graph and other segments in between. There's a different app called the Follow app, which would be like if I was your kid, you'd have the Follow app. Yeah. So my Dexcom app would push my data to your phone and right. you could see it. So that's what we have for Stellan. Right. However... The follow app doesn't have a widget on my iPhone. So for checking mine, I just swipe over so that I don't have to unlock my phone and go Mm -hmm. into an app and then look because I know it sounds ridiculous. It's still really accessible. But if I'm like teaching, I'm not going to go unlock my phone and Mm -hmm. go into my app. Mm -hmm. I don't want to touch my phone that much. So I can see mine just from swiping over. But um, follow where I see Stellan's doesn't have that. So there's a third app that the follow data from Stellan's blood sugar goes to SugarMate, which is like a third party. It's not owned by the company who makes the continuous glucose monitor, right? It's like a different outside thing, but Dexcom has agreed to share the data with okay, SugarMate. Yeah, yeah. And I like SugarMate because you can set up all this really interesting information. I can kind of see trends right in the app rather than going to actually a fourth app, (laughs) which tells you your percent and range, your estimated A1C, which is like a measurement of over three months blood glucose levels, tells you all this data, right? Right. That you may or may not want to know. Um, Helpful for endocrinologist appointments when they ask like, oh, look, and let's see what this is and trends Mm -hmm. and things. SugarMate also will call my phone 
if Stellan's blood sugar goes below the target range. Mm. So overnight, instead of like, so that I can sleep. Yeah. Um, and we often sleep through his alarms overnight because right. we're sleeping and we get used to them, but it will call my phone and ring my phone next to my head uh, and wake me up with a yeah. phone call. Yeah. So that I'll wake up and go give him something for low blood sugar. Right. Well, that's the main reason I love sugar mate. Yeah. Except for when Jimmy and I were in the city two weeks ago and still was sleeping over my mom's and I forgot yeah. to turn it off and I got woken up at 1 a.m. Yeah. But, um, so do is, you like transfer that stuff to your mom if she's the, so she, because she's not used to having cell overnight, she wakes up with his normal Dexcom alarms okay. that I don't yeah. always wake up to. Yeah. Also, Stellan sleeps upstairs in our house and we sleep downstairs. So we yeah. have our door open. His phone is kind of like in between the two bedrooms on the stairs. Yeah. But when he's at my parents, a few times he slept over my parents, they're just right down the hall from each right, other. Right. So, um, Sugar Mate, the app that calls me, <laughs> no longer works. There's something oh, that happened no. with like either, I don't know. And I know that Jimmy actually probably knows because he follows this kind of techie stuff um, in one of the like diabetes Facebook groups that we're in. Right. And I haven't been following it. Some data sharing issue with yeah. Dexcom. Yeah. And they issued a warning a few weeks ago saying you might see an interruption in data. And ours was fine. I'm like, yeah. sugar meat's working fine. It's fine. Um, the other thing that I really like about it is instead of just telling you the current number with an arrow saying whether you're going up or steady or down, mm -hmm. it actually every update will say plus or minus. So it could tell me like, okay, someone's blood sugar is 120 and it'll say plus four, meaning that the last one was 116. So right. I can still kind of see, I like seeing the plus or minus. Right. So I'm not seeing that. I'm not getting phone calls. To see his blood sugar, I have to do this. Here, let me show you how long it takes. Now I have the app open. I'm waiting for it to load. Okay, and now, he's like, now I can see it. And like, wow. that's still really quick, but I want it to be quicker. Yeah. And I don't know, as an anxious mom, if like he's yeah. like melting down or you're noticing like a, a behavioral change and it's taking you that long to get the right. phone to like. So it's frustrating because yeah. I haven't been checking it as much. And right. like there was a couple of times Jimmy checks, check looks in his own phone to check Stellan's blood sugar mm -hmm. a lot more than I look at Stellan's blood sugar because I'm also looking at mine. Right. So I don't always like stop what I'm doing to look at it. It yeah. has to be this really quick mindless thing for me. Yeah. Um, so what was it? I guess it was yesterday after lunch. Oh, it was when Stellan was napping yesterday. And Jimmy was out and texted me something about like filling me in on the insulin he had given him in the morning and he was still running high. And so I was like, oh, let me go look. He was going like way high in his, during his nap, but uh, I didn't know because I hadn't right. been looking and yeah. I didn't hear the alarm because I was in the kitchen and right. his Dexcom phone was upstairs. So that's the three apps. <laughs> if you follow I'm already exhausted and I do not want it's to be a lot. So yeah. essentially it's like the Dexcom and CGMs in general, not all CGMs have an app that goes with them. There's all these different kinds. Um, but I really like the Dexcom because you can easily just check. And yeah. actually if I had an Apple, a lot of people will wear an Apple watch yeah. or another kind of smartwatch and be able to see, um, like I could see mine and Stellan's on a watch. Oh, I haven't gotten yeah. that far yet. Yeah. I have a really old Apple watch that 
I could kind of see them, but I didn't love, I don't know. I didn't really like, I needed to turn off other notifications and stuff. So I bought myself a swatch and I don't see any blood sugars on it. <laughs> Maybe because, sometimes you just need something that only tells you the time. Exactly. And that's kind of what I felt like. Yeah. I, there, there, It's this funny balance between like wanting to know, but then sometimes I don't want to know. Yeah. Right. So having it constantly, constantly there Yeah. as helpful as that information is it's some also sometimes like I don't want to look at the time to write a kid a bathroom pass and then get a blood sugar notification right. like I just want to know what time right. it is well because then your brain is multitasking right right because then more like more than it already is anyway. right 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 as a teacher right. how long have you been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes well I have to math but <laughs> February coming up it will be I was diagnosed when I was six in 1996 Wow. That was almost seven. Oh. So it will be, I don't know. I always say 25 years. So yeah. maybe it'll be 26. Yeah. My math might be wrong because right. I know this sounds like simple math, but I have things on my head. So it's <laughs> making it harder to do math. That's going to be my excuse. It's like when I pull my mask down to hear someone better. Right. Or you turn the radio down so you can see better in your car <laughs> or listen to your directions better. Um, so, so 25 years, it'll be 2022 minus 1996. Yeah. That's how many, years. <laughs> <laughs> but you've been doing math your whole life with your blood sugars yeah. and all that. Yeah. yeah. Some kind of math for sure. So tell me about what it was like to grow up as a kid in the mid nineties with type one diabetes. Like what was that like? It was, I have these little kind of snippets of memories. On one hand, we didn't have the information that we have now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of people will say like, oh, well, you know everything about this. So you have a kid with it. No, no problem. Like, well, it's not 1996. Yeah. Which on one hand, I'm grateful that we have all this stuff. It's so much easier to manage a toddler's blood sugar. But for me, you know, I think I was out of school. My mom would obviously fact check this, but I think I was out of school about a month after diagnosis I don't remember doing schoolwork during the time. Maybe it was last time. Maybe mm -hmm. it was like a couple of weeks. Um, and I remember going back into first grade. And I think my parents came in with me that day. My brother was four months old. Yeah. So like he was being carted around everywhere. Yeah. Um, and I did a presentation for my first grade class. I have type 1 diabetes. Here's what it is. It's not, I didn't get it because I ate too much sugar. I didn't understand what an autoimmune right. disease was, but that right. I was like repeating what I was what was drilled into my head at right. Westchester Med before it was Maria Ferrari. <laughs> I can eat whatever I want, but I have to take insulin and I have to check my blood sugar. So I was doing very different than what I'm doing now. I was pricking my finger five to seven times a day. Five to seven times a day. At least. And then overnight, my parents would have to check me overnight. So in addition to having a newborn, my mom was also checking my blood sugar two to three times a night. Wow. Yeah. And <laughs> you were doing it. Tell me about doing, how yeah. you were like such an independent. I know this a little bit. Yeah. You were yeah. an independent kid who kind of didn't want that. You didn't want to be doted on. So right. I did not want. When did you start? It was start interesting, actually. This could be a whole other. <laughs> you could therapize this one. Like I always 
wanted to act like and be like the older people in the room. So mm-hmm. I always tried to act very adult or I tried to act like the older kids. I didn't want to be friends with kids my age. I wanted to be mm-hmm. friends with older kids or I wanted to be like hanging out with the grownups rather than like in yeah. the cafeteria with the kids. So you pricked your own fingers. So I did. And even when we were in the hospital, I think I was in there about four days. My dad stayed with me the whole time sleeping in some armchair that didn't turn into a bed. <laughs> um, and I remember this is one really vivid memory I have from that hospital stay and diagnosis was that this nurse said you're doing really well you need to let your dad do go through this process of what to do before a meal or what to do if this Mm -hmm. all these different scenarios and if he doesn't learn how to do it you can't go home Mm -hmm. you have to teach your dad how to do it yeah and that was like oh fine (laughs) (laughs) probably with more complaining but um i well, I needed to be in control. Yeah. And I just, I was always that kid. I still am that way. Do you have any memory of you not needing to be in control prior to the diagnosis or is this intrinsically you? I think it's me. And yeah. my parents always called it independence mm. um, or being strong-willed, which is a <laughs> nice way of saying like a stubborn bitch. <laughs> um, I think it was me. Yeah. But I think that as soon as I was diagnosed, with type one diabetes, it kind of kicked in this new, like, okay. Like I was almost like, I can't do anything about it. So I have to make sure I do something about it kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Like I have to just do it. Like I didn't want to not be in school. I didn't Mm want to not do all the stuff I wanted to do. And that was also, you know, it still is very much the mantra. Like you can have a normal life. You can do all the stuff that you wanted to do. You can do this. You can do that. Look at so-and-so does this and they have diabetes, right? Like this, like yeah. you can do it anyway. So it was very much that, which I never, I never intrinsically felt like I can't do something. That's right. almost seven years old. Right. I was like, okay, I'm going to feel better now. Cause I was feeling sick for a few months leading after, up to yeah. that. So I was like yeah. validating like, oh, there's actually something wrong with you. Yeah. Um, And I just wanted to jump back into school and do my thing. Yeah. And I wasn't afraid of, I think, I hear sometimes now from parents of kids with type 1 diabetes that they're kind of read this like this list of potential complications when they're Mm. in the hospital with their kid. Mm. It's kind of like reminds me of like you've just had a baby and you watch the SIDS video. Yeah. Like let's further traumatize the already mentally and physically traumatized parent. Right. By being like your kid could die and here's all the reason the ways why how your kid could die. (laughs) Yeah. Here are all the ways how your kid could die. Yeah. That doesn't that's not a correct sentence. That's fine. You're not Here grading are papers. all of the ways in which your child could die. <laughs> there you have okay, it. There we go. She's an English um, teacher, folks. And I was just also tutoring a student on SAT writing <laughs> earlier today. So this is where my mind is. Don't partially. let them hear this episode. <laughs> no, she's funny. We go through the questions and I'm like, I got them all right. She's like, okay. I'm like, I'm just really proud of myself. <laughs> I actually got one wrong. Kid, were there any moments where you felt like excluded, nervous? I remember parents being nervous to have me sleep over. Even though my parents were very much like, no, she's fine. She knows what to do. Right. If this, then that call us. Right. Right. Like I wasn't being monitored overnight. So to a point where we, they knew generally that my insulin doses were okay. And like, you know, certain things were in place as much as they could be controlled. I just did whatever. But I do know that parents were worried about that. Or I would get the like, okay, so like, what can we feed her for dinner? <laughs> My parents would be like, 
whatever, like, what are you having for dinner? They're like, right. well, what can we feed her for dinner? We, right. You know, they would try and give me sugar-free this or that, right. like, they didn't really have an idea of like what I could and could not eat. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think what else. Teachers were similar. Mm. My parents didn't know what a 504 plan was. Right. People didn't have that like they have it now. I should have and could have had a 504 plan right. from first grade to 12th grade. <laughs> Instead, I would argue and fight with substitute teachers to let me go to the bathroom or let me go to the nurse if I needed to. Oh. I got detention for arguing with the math teacher once because I pretty much told her off and I was like, whatever, I'm going to the bathroom. My blood sugar's high. I've been drinking water all day. I need to go pee. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> So, but I was that kid, like I just did what I needed to do and I didn't care if uh, people didn't like it. Um, Sports, definitely once I got older, I remember that a lot. Like I would get to the starting line of a cross country race and I wouldn't feel great and I didn't have a CGM. So I didn't know my blood sugar was going down, right? By the time I felt low, it would be like 10 minutes to the start of a 5K and I would run over to my bag, grab my meter, prick my finger and be 55. Whoops. Yeah. And I have to go to my coach who thankfully was very understanding. One of the coaches, the girl's coach was very understanding. And just be like, listen, Anne, I can't run this race. Like I have to drink juice and I could probably run in 20 minutes, but the race is starting in 10 minutes. Right. Right. And she's like, okay, that's fine. And I would, that would be shitty. Like you mentally prep yourself up for, I'm going to go do this. And And then you can't do it. And then you just, Especially with something like that, like that and Nordic ski racing I did. Um, I had to really, you know, and as a teenager, you don't think ahead like this. I had to really think about like, okay, two hours before my race, what am I doing? Right. To get my blood sugar, like at a spot where I can go and run a 5K or ski a 10K. Right. There was one cross country coach. I think he was the boys coach. We were running at practice. And I'd usually have to stop and drink a juice box. And again, I didn't have a CGM and I would not run with my blood sugar meter. I'd just go with how I felt. Yeah. So I'd be running. I'd be like, oh, I feel a little bit like shaky. And I feel like my blood sugar is low. And I'd stop and drink a juice box and I'd walk for a few minutes to wait for my blood sugar to come up. And then I'd start running again. And one time I was doing that and I was not super fast. I was always kind of at the back. And I, yes, I was often running with kids who would just stop because they didn't want to run. Yeah. But I remember one time he came, we were like out running in an apple orchard for cross country. And he's like, what are you doing? Why aren't you running? And I said, oh, my blood sugar's low. I just have to wait a few minutes. And he said, how long have you had this now? You haven't gotten this figured out by now? <gasps> oh God. <laughs> and I was like, uh, I don't even remember what I said. <laughs> just like what? And I will never forget that. Yeah. Just like, that's not how it works. It's different every single day. (laughs) So sports definitely, um, it was just an added thing. Like sports was definitely one of like the mental load things that I noticed. Yeah. Sleepovers, the whole, I mean, I have every level of school staff telling me like, you can't eat that. Like I brought this from home. Like, what are you trying to tell me? Oh, like they would monitor you. Like if they they saw you in the cafeteria. Yes. They'd be watching what I ate and- if it didn't fit in their mind with what a type one diabetic child should eat, they would let me know. Whoa. So Whoa. that got really annoying. That was especially like a elementary school through middle school thing. I would always have people who would want to be very like attentive to me yeah. and thought it was like endearing to be like, we see what you're eating. And I'd be like, fuck off. Like I don't, yeah. I'm eating what I'm eating. Like leave me alone. 
Wow. So I think those are the main the yeah. main things that I noticed. So then you go to college. Yeah. You meet Jimmy, who's now your husband. Right. And you don't give him a crash course in T1. Like it's it's well, not not really because by then I just did it all myself. Yeah. And when I started college, I still didn't have a CGM, but I had an insulin pump because I got an insulin pump the summer before going into middle school. Is that the one you like you sort of that wear was the on one the that side? looked like a beeper? Yes. Yeah. And it had a tube, yeah. right? So going into sixth grade that summer before I got the insulin pump. And I remember, again, if I had had this in a 504, my parents would have to fight for this, but they had to fight for me to be able to carry my own blood sugar monitor and my own snacks and to have backup stuff in my locker so I didn't have to constantly run to the nurse's office if I needed anything. Whoa. Because you're switching classes. It was like a nine period day. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, she can manage this herself. She can do it between classes. She can sit on, you know, she can go out in the hall. She can advocate for herself and say, hey, Mr. So-and-so, I need to run out and check my blood sugar. I'll be right back. Yeah. So, you know, they they did all that stuff. Yeah. I remember when... I think the main thing was like that I was going to get blood all over. Well, my parents were like, that's oh. not what it is. Like there's an alcohol swab. Like, well, it was late nineties. They were like AIDS. Yeah. Well, She's going to get her blood AIDS. Every yes, day. exactly. That's <laughs> true. That's probably, yes. Wow. You're right. That's an important contextual. I, I mean, I remember. I started middle school. Yeah. What it was like 1999. Yeah. 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 So by the time I got to college though, I had all my stuff, you know, of course my parents were nervous and I'm the oldest. It was this whole like big sob fest and kids going to college. <laughs> but uh, I just checked, you know, I checked my blood sugar. I'm I'm very fortunate in that I still, after whatever the math was, 25, 26 years, I can feel my blood sugar is going low. And I can how so? feel- to Explain how you feel it. So it's people, other non-diabetics feel it. Mm-hmm. If you haven't eaten in a long time, you start feeling lightheaded, sometimes mm-hmm. dizzy, sometimes nauseous. Like you need, your your body needs glucose, right? Mm-hmm. Like your blood needs glucose. Your metabolism needs it. So it's that, but it's at a more, it's more pronounced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I can feel it like rapidly getting worse. Oh, wow. So I'll even feel it actually if like, let's say um, my blood sugar, let's say my blood sugar is 200 and I give myself insulin to get it back down. Yeah. If my blood sugar is, now I can see this on the Dexcom, on the CGM. Yeah. I can see if I'm dropping fast. If I'm dropping fast, I will feel like my blood sugar is a little low, but then I go and look and it's like, you're 150 going down. Yeah. So I'm not low. I don't need to eat something. Right. I need to keep an eye on it to make sure I don't like plummet faster. Oh, I get it. Yeah. Cause you're kind of high if you're at yeah. 150. Right. Right. So, but you feel that decrescendo. You, right. you feel the dip. Even though like you should be dipping, like right. it's good, but you feel right. it. Yeah. So, so you're like constantly just aware yes. of your right. stupid body. So <laughs> that's the lows. And then feeling high, which of course, this is kind of funny because, you know, I'd go around as a little kid being like, mom, I feel high. People would be like, what are you giving this, <laughs> this kid? Or like mom would have to pull over and draw my insulin on the side of the road. And I'd be like, mom, I'm high. And she'd be like injecting me with things. I'm like, okay, lady. Because really when I, in the late 90s, yeah. early 2000s, yeah. um, type 1 diabetes is way more common now. You're seeing yeah. it a lot more. And that's a whole yeah. other reasoning, you know, yeah. why that is, is a whole other thing. But um, yeah. Right. So yeah. feeling high is like thirsty, tired, 
either one is irritable and get irritable. Anything makes me irritable. <laughs> but if my blood sugar is low or if my blood sugar is high, I would be more irritable. Yeah. Um, high also kind of feels like like sluggish. Like you want to yeah. go to sleep. Right. Right. Like right. so it there's too much sugar in your bloodstream and yeah. your cells can't use that sugar for energy. So you actually are like, your energy is depleted. You're actually sluggish. You're right. Act- yeah. 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 So going into college, I have, I've always been lucky that I can feel that a lot of people can't feel when their blood sugar is going low and they can mm-hmm. be out like, you know, doing whatever, driving a backhoe. Yeah. And their blood sugar is crashing. They don't know it. And then they crash. Right. Well, oh, exactly. oh, I didn't even mean that pun. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> right. Or they, but I mean, like, yeah, the, that could be super dangerous. The analogy I, guess. I remember is driving with low or high blood sugar is worse than driving drunk for some people. Wow. Yeah. And because I would definitely could, say like, I cannot drive when my blood sugar is low. My blood sugar is high is not as severe for me, mm-hmm. depending on how high it is. Sometimes I can feel really gross. But, but low in the same way of drunk, it would be like impi- like lowered reflexes. Your vision goes. Yeah, vis- I've been yeah. so low where I start not. I start blacking out. My vision Ooh. starts blacking out, yeah. and that's like dangerously low. Yeah, that actually happened last summer. It was the last time that happened. That was scary. Well, you but were very not, busy last summer. I was. I was not driving. So, and there are actually different. Like I carry an emergency kit for if that happens. It's like an injection of glucose. Oh. So it's it's um, more intense than just giving yourself a dose of insulin. It's like a yeah. It's, it's like it's almost like an epipen of glucose that right. will like flood. Because actually, if your blood sugar is super low or if you're unconscious, you can't swallow. Uh, so you can't eat a, no, you a, can't sn- eat. a Snickers so if or a, is passed out from low blood sugar. Like you can rub icing or honey in their cheeks, and that will absorb in their bloodstream. Wow. But um, but you can't you, feed them back. Right. And you can also have a seizure if your blood sugar is low. So you're not going to be shoving something in the mouth of somebody who's seizing. Oh, geez. So there's this injection. But anyway, you asked about college. <laughs> no, like, that's okay. <laughs> no, we talk. I mean, all, we... we yeah. But all of this. So I went to college. I still everything by myself. I never did or never will introduce myself as, hi, I'm Fiona and I have type 1 diabetes. <laughs> like, I just don't tell people. Right. So as I made close friends in college, Jimmy was one of them. I would tell people because they would yeah. see my insulin pump. Or I'd be like, oh, I have to go and change this or I've checked my blood sugar. And I just yeah. did it. And sometimes I wouldn't do it. Sometimes I'd go to dinner with my friends at the dining yeah. hall and I wouldn't check my blood sugar before I check it later. Like this was not, college was not a time of like excellent diabetes control <laughs> for me. And I don't know that it is for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. So I did not give Jimmy a crash course. He gets one I later. I think that once, <laughs> right. I think that once we started dating, because we started dating right away, um, I showed him the glucagon, like the emergency kit for low blood sugar. And mm. I showed him how to do it. And I'm like, look, right. there's a directions here. And you just, you put this in here and you mix it. And then you draw it back up and then you just jab it in my butt or my leg or whatever. And that's done. Okay. Let's go get pizza. And like, uh, <laughs> I think I showed him that I think too. we should see other people now. <laughs> <I'm> kidding. <laughs> well, right. Well, and you know, honestly, when I was in high school, yeah. I was that actually going back to like hindering parts of my childhood. Yeah. I think that was one of the reasons why I never dated in high school. Yeah. I was very, not even, I would not, I've never been really self-conscious, but I was always kind of like, well, I'm going to have a close relationship with somebody. This is something that I then have to acknowledge. Like yeah. I have this thing that's part of my life that I try not to make part of other people's lives. Right. 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 Cause that's the way you've been navigating. I remember it. going to school dances make it and fully being like, yours. what if a boy realizes I'm wearing an insulin pump when I'm slow dancing? 
oh, and being like, oh, yeah. that's weird. Yeah. So I was like, I just won't do it. I just won't. I just won't slow dance with oh. boys. I mean, I did. But yeah. anyway. Yeah. So that was the only thing I taught Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> just had to jab you in the butt. <laughs> yeah. Like, here's this emergency thing. Like, this is important to understand how to do if I pass out. And that's it. So then Jimmy meets that version of Fiona. Right. You get married. I guess we'll say that yeah. part. <laughs> we does, eventually do. Not in college. Does Fiona's navigation of type 1 diabetes change when when you get pregnant? Well, yeah. So really before that. Um, so we graduate college. I My last semester of college, I was student teaching. Mm. So I was a little bit more on my own. I was no longer living at a college, right? I was like renting a room in someone's apartment in the, on the Upper West Side, student teaching. I think it was, I can't remember, I think it was after student teaching. Cause again, I didn't have great control. All my focus was on like getting to school on time and doing the right thing and learning how to be a teacher and be, trying to be a good teacher. And, and not letting T1D get in the way of it. Right. Like, and you know, like I don't even remember. I think I ran high. I think that's what I did. I think my yeah. blood sugar was consistently pretty high. Yeah. Because I was used to it. Yeah. I was eating a lot of fast food. I wasn't necessarily thinking about like, okay, you need extra insulin for this, this, and that. Yeah. Um, Trader Joe's wine shop was a <laughs> subway a right away. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'd meet my aunts out for dinner and we get like big bowls of pasta. So all yeah. these things that like would have required a lot more thought with like what do I do with my insulin in these situations right yeah um I did not want to go low while teaching like I didn't even think about how to navigate that so I think that my comfort level and I think was to be higher and I think that this is true for a lot of people there's a definite phobia of low blood sugar Mm. because it feels shitty it sounds more yeah it is it's scary um and I now feel like I'm better at validating how that feels now instead of just being like, oh, I'll deal with it, whatever, I'm fine. Now I'll actually be like, no, I really, I don't feel well. I need to go, I, like, yeah. I need you to deal with this with whatever thing the kids are dealing with yeah. or whatever. I'll even say it to my students. Yeah. Um, not that I ever, I've never had to deal with this, like teaching a whole class, but I've been working with students one-on-one yeah. and been like, like now they hear my CGM going off and I'm like, just give me a minute. Like I need to, like address I this. Need to, I need to feel a little better before I explain to you how to fix this paragraph. Because <laughs> yeah. if I do it now, I'm not going to make any sense. I don't have type one diabetes, and I have to feel better yeah. before I explain to 18 year olds yes, how to make absolutely, their right? better. So, um, <laughs> right. So, end of college student teaching. Um, I think it was after I graduated. So I student taught for the fall semester. I graduated in. December of 2011 with my master's that was done with my whole program and um whatever my next endocrinologist appointment was nothing was good yeah (laughs) my a1c which is supposed to be for a non-diabetic it should be under 5.5 and for a diabetic you want like I don't remember what the true medical reference range is but somewhere between five and seven you don't want it to be over seven yeah um, I think right now I'm like 6.1. Mm-hmm. Stellan's been like 6.5, which is great. Like, mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Um, But it's taken a lot of work to get there. So yeah. I think after college, I was at a 10.3. Oh. Which is the highest it's ever been, which yeah. is why I remember the number. Yeah. And that was kind of like, I was like, oh no. Yeah. That's not good. Like I knew I needed to recalibrate everything. 
so that's when it was kind of like that. And then I got a job right away. So I was like kind of into this new routine where I felt like I kind of have to pay more attention. Right. And I would say it was like the year before Jimmy and I got married that I became really strict with how I was eating and my blood sugars got a lot more stable. Mm -hmm. But because I was, I, I went from like eating whatever I wanted all the time, which is really kind of where I am now, but in a healthy, (laughs) healthier mindset of a way to being really restrictive in what I ate. And I, I went, the pendulum swung the complete. It did. It did. And I started reading about, you know, I never, I was not as a kid and a teenager seeking out reading about type one diabetes. Mm. I was like, I love this. You don't need to tell me about it. I don't want to hear other people's yeah. stories about it because I don't care. Like, I, I don't want it to be more a part of my life or my consciousness than, than already it is. already is. Right? Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of me just like doing it all myself came from too. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want you to be involved in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I got it. I'm yeah. good. Right? Yeah. So even when I wasn't good, which I'm realizing now, yeah. <laughs> even when I wasn't good, I would say I was good. Yeah. Right? I'd yeah. Be, I would like I gaslight myself and be like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. I can take this test. My blood sugar is 400, but I'm fine. Like I shouldn't <laughs> have taken that test. No, I should not be taking a math regents. Like, right. Right. So I just didn't pay attention to some of those things that I'm realizing now have a huge impact on my day or yeah. a task. Right. Yeah. So I did like the pendulum definitely swung. I actually remember sitting in a Barnes and Noble in like 2012 mm-hmm. reading a book about it was a paleo book. Uh-huh. This yeah. is where I that went. That was right? very paleo in, in 2012. Was very big. And so I started, you know, I looked into remember reading about. For the first time, saw the phrase autoimmune disease. Yeah. I had no idea what an autoimmune disease was. Wait, 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 wait. Seriously? Like you had an autoimmune disease since you were six and you had never heard it referred to as an autoimmune disease. Nope. (gasps) No. Oh, that's interesting. I had seen, I think prior to that, I remember my mom pointing out to me because, you know, there are plenty of times where my parents knew I was not quote, taking care of myself like I could have, right? Right. Like, we wish you'd take better care of yourself. We wish you'd take, you do this. Why don't you do this, right? Like trying to encourage me to Mm -hmm. do better than I was doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, whatever, I'm fine, go away. Yeah. Um, I remember my mom kind of doing this like fear mongering thing where she was like, you have what's considered a chronic illness Uh, and you will have... You know, you could have these complications and these complications which yeah. is all true. It is. It's right. a chronic disease. Right. But I was so mad at her for calling it that because yeah. I was like, I'm 16 years old and I'm invincible. Like F off. Yeah. I don't want to hear about it. I feel fine. Yeah. Um, so in your early 20s, you're reading this book. So I'm reading this. It I, calls it an autoimmune. Right. And? And I start reading about autoimmune diseases. Right. So then I went into this like, well, wait a second. There, they could be triggered by environmental stuff. Let's figure out every single possible environmental trigger for autoimmune disease, right? Yeah. So now I'm going down this rabbit hole of like, oh. wait, but what if this triggered my type 1 diabetes? And what if this did? And what if it was this? And what if it was this? And coming up with all these theories, right? Right, piecing together these things right. like, could it have been dairy? My dad always made us drink milk, could it have been? This, you know, like all of these different things. 
But right? how would how did that serve you at the time? Like, why did you want to find the origin to to undo it or just be just to definitely like definitely wasn't undo it to so there wasn't. It. And I know yeah. that there are some people out there who are like, you can cure type. The joke is like, you can cure type one diabetes with cinnamon. And I did actually have a a doctor once. I didn't, I've never heard. Yes, that. right. Who and listen, there are people also confuse different types of diabetes, and there aren't only just two, but the. Type one is the autoimmune one mm-hmm. and you can't cure an autoimmune disease. Yeah. Like this is like, they're working on it. Yeah. They're working on figuring out some kind of like islet cell replacement thing. Right. right. I don't even know that I was trying to get at the origin of it. I definitely was trying to understand like my life, my first five and a half years of my life. Like what happened? Like, why do I have type one diabetes and no one else in my family does? Right. Cause yeah. your, your siblings don't. They do not. Yeah. Um, nobody in my family does. And nobody in my family really even has autoimmune diseases. Yeah. Like Jimmy's side of the family, they have a bunch of different yeah. autoimmune things that aren't type one diabetes. But mm-hmm. yeah, like all other stuff runs in my yeah. side of the family, but not that. So did you go did you go full on paleo? I did for a for a while. So this was like yeah, this was the year before we got married. So this well, two years. So this was like 2012, 2013. And it kind of matched up with like I got my first job. I could kind of, I could grocery shop for myself. I got into cooking for myself more than I was doing in college. So yeah, I like no more dairy, read all about how dairy is inflammatory and really bad for diabetics because it fluctuates your blood sugar. And I was actually seeing some of that. Like I saw and in doing all this and cutting out grains and cutting out dairy, my blood sugars were great. Yeah. Because the only, you know, I was eating more fiber rich carbs yeah. rather than yeah. simple carbs, right? right? So all these it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Like in a I was eating very healthy. Like I wasn't restricting things that were making me unhealthy. But it was definitely res- it was restrictive in the sense that once I got pregnant, yeah. I went even more restrictive. Uh, because oh. I was so scared in reading all of this stuff, right? Then I start then you start reading about like what you should do when you're pregnant to prevent autoimmune disease in your kids. Into the kid. Yeah. Okay. So then wow. I was like, well, shit. Right. Yeah. And that was the biggest fear I had when I found yeah. out I was pregnant with Colette. Like I'm going to well, give two her, things. Yeah. I was like, what if I'm bringing a kid into this world who now has to deal with this? And two, yeah. I don't want to see section. <laughs> Those were right. my two yeah. things. Well, that was, I mean, not to do immature empathy, right? I'm not like, this isn't about me, but like, maybe this will help like listeners um, sort of place themselves in the story. But like, you know, when I found out I was having twins Mm -hmm. and doctors looked at me like, (laughs) you're barely five foot two on a good day. We're going to cut those babies out of you. Also, you're going to have them a month and a half early. Right. People start projecting what your experience is going to be. Like, no, I'm actually living this. Like, shut up. Right. Actually, this is my pregnancy. I'll show you. And it was like, I I went paleo, pregnant with twins, mm-hmm. no joke. <laughs> like I like legit. I was like the buffest I ever looked in my life. Me too. Um, me too. I was. I called myself. Well, it's just this is a terrible phrase now, but I called my. I, I was skinny pregnant. Yes, me too. Yeah, I was like the watermelon gained, under yep, the shirt. I gained weight here, but I was so trim yeah. everywhere else. And like for me, I was. It was that fear of, you know, because some of the doctors I had seen before switching to midwives were like the fear was your body like can't do this and like I know it's like pretty trendy to be like that fucking doctor didn't listen to me and and I live in that world too Mm -hmm. but I also know that like doctors are like 
smart humans that study things right. and they do have statistics in front of them. Right. I was reading the blogs and I was like, yeah, statistically, I'm not going to have these babies like naturally yeah. and I'm going to have them early. And my hypervigilance was like, I will not do that. You know, and yes. I and I spent my whole pregnancy focused on what I will not let happen instead of just like, I'm not even going to like go and be like, instead of just enjoying the glow, instead of just living, instead of yeah. just existing on this planet, I was like, no, I have to, I have to eat these dates from Morocco <laughs> because they like women in Morocco don't have C-sections because yeah. they eat these dates. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? <sighs> um, so I, I see that part right. in your story right. and, and that, like, that. you were like, I, I am not going to fuck that. I'm, I'm not right. going to give this to Colette. Well, the baby that would be eventually right. called Galette, I guess we didn't say. Yeah. And and I'm not gonna have a seat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it was that it was it was that, um because really that was the first time I ever experienced somebody telling me, because you have type one diabetes, yeah. you cannot do this. Yes. And yes. I was like, nobody has ever told me that. Right. I am not like us Taurus girls. You do not tell us what we're <laughs> like. You just don't tell us what to do. Right. You don't. We're also 90s girls. Girl yeah. power. Right. You can do whatever you yes. want. <laughs> so not to, you know, disparage anybody type one diabetic or otherwise who has needed a C-section. Uh, but my mentality going into that was exactly like being told this is what you can and can't do. Yeah. And. I could not find now, thankfully, there's a lot more out there, um, but I could not find a single book, blog, article, Instagram account, yeah. Facebook page on I'm type one diabetic in my mid 20s, very healthy and had a vaginal birth. Right. Yeah. I had everything from like, I'm documenting my journey and this is my goal. And surprise, my baby was big and I had a C-section, but I'm so glad they're here. Like this yeah. whole and again, fine, wonderful. It was still great to read those people's stories and kind of see what they did and yeah. see their experience. And I emailed a bunch of these women like, yeah. and chatted with them. But that was the thing. It was like being told what you can and can't do. Yeah. And feeling like no matter what, you just have to roll over and take whatever happens. Oh, and yeah. in this whole me reading about paleo and all this stuff, you know, there were some helpful things about like, oh, you know, stuff about nutrients, nutrition that I had never been taught, mm -hmm. basic nutrition stuff. Mm -hmm. There was a lot that I have unlearned in terms of like extreme stuff <laughs> that, you know, didn't really serve me then and it's not gonna serve me now. Right. But that was it. And I didn't, I didn't, I think I did enjoy yeah. being pregnant. I did because yeah. I liked being pregnant, but it was this like other battle that I was fighting. Yeah, it's like in a, in, right. on top of being the bearer of the child, right. right? It was this constant everyday mental thing. Like I have to keep my blood sugar at this or right. else right. my baby will be too big. And yeah. it was this domino right. effect of potential things that would happen. Yeah. So, so then she comes out. Right. And then and of course the whole pregnancy too, I'm like, fighting not to be induced at 39 weeks and I'm arguing with people and I'm like why would you induce me if everything's fine yeah and I had one OB who was like yeah yeah I know but that's just what we do we just didn't I'm like I'm 25 years old this is my first baby you're not inducing me at 39 weeks right so um she 
He was born at 36 weeks. Both my kids made sure I didn't have to fight the induction fight. <laughs> They're both just... early. Um, but then it was still this like, and you said something before. I'm trying to remember what it was because you hit the nail on the head. Something about being in control or being in control of something. I can't remember what it was. But I was, I felt like I was fighting so hard the entire pregnancy to be heard. Yeah. And to be seen for not the type 1 diabetic mom well, on paper. Earlier you said, I would never introduce myself as like, hi, I'm Fiona. I have type 1 diabetic. And, but the minute you're a pregnant woman, yes. you are whatever they Right. The biggest uh, medical differentiation. Yeah. Right. So like you are Heather with twins, but only five, two. Yes, <laughs> you, know? exactly. you were Fiona, young and healthy, but type one. <laughs> right. Know? And I think that was really jarring for me. Yeah. And I wasn't, uh, I wasn't as much as like the moment I peed on a stick and realized I was pregnant and started freaking out um, because I was afraid. I was yeah. afraid of of all of it, the whole thing. Yeah. I was not mentally prepared. It was not a, you know, prep to be pregnant for months kind yeah. of situation. So um, I really did. I felt like I fought through my yeah. entire pregnancy. Yeah. I saw a maternal fetal specialist. I pushed back on a lot of different things. I questioned a lot of things. I think that yeah. they didn't plan on me questioning. Yeah. I just always felt like I was fighting. Yeah. And in hindsight, you know, I could have probably filled Jimmy in and had him help fight a little bit but <laughs> yeah. I really again like when I was six diagnosed type 1 diabetes I will do it myself yeah I will fight this myself yeah. because it's me and I know it and I've lived with it yeah. and I'm gonna I'm gonna fight so once she was born it was kind of like okay I did it yeah. I pushed the baby out of yeah. my vagina yeah and there was this few days of like I couldn't fight anymore right and so then there was the whole postpartum period which was like struggling with breastfeeding and all this stuff that I realized in a couple of weeks I was like, Oh no, I have to fight again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you're exhausted. And like, I was done fighting. Yeah. Um, but then I, it still became this like fighting to make sure my kid didn't end up with an autoimmune yeah. disease. Yeah. So that was like the next stage. So the next stage was, you know, as they get older and, and they're not only drinking breast milk, like, and they go to eat the solids, like you were hypervigilant about what you ate to keep sugars low so that your baby was in a steady state womb, let's say. Right. Now she's out and she's eating and you're like, you will, you will eat cashews, you know? Yeah, right. So there was definitely for me, like I went more to eating more things when I was breastfeeding because like I couldn't stuff my face fast enough. And after you give birth as a diabetic, the, with the hormone shift, so at the end of pregnancy, you need a lot more insulin, mm -hmm. like a lot more. And then you essentially like your insulin needs cut in half as soon wow. as you give birth. Wow. Plus breastfeeding, you're burning all these calories. Like your blood sugar is constantly, constantly low. Like I would have to stuff my face with food every time Please I sat down Please tell to me nurse. you had an app by then. No. Oh my God. No. So you were pricking your finger or yeah. just so feeling it So when I was pregnant with Claude, I had a continuous glucose monitor, yeah. but it would show up on my insulin pump and it was very unreliable and it had to be calibrated all the time. Yeah. And it was a headache. I didn't trust it. It was a pain in the neck. I have to calibrate it and prick my finger all the time anyway. So with Claude, I just pricked my finger every one to two hours, except for wow. overnight. I wow. was really vigilant and checking all the time. Yeah. I got into a good system, but again, yeah. I didn't have any other kids. Yeah. She was my first. I was yeah. very fixated on 
controlling my blood sugars better even before I got pregnant. So it was kind of like a continuation of, okay, now I have to do it even more. Yeah. But when she was an infant, both my kids when they were infants, it's like that shit goes out the window. Like total survival mode. I literally just ate whatever because I had to eat. I remember making myself like couple times like those peanut butter balls stuffed with like raisins and yeah. chocolate yeah. chips and yeah. maple syrup because I needed like you need I needed yes. so much sugar I needed fat I needed yeah. all of the things I needed. <laughs> but when it came time for her to eat so that, that was the other thing is that struggling with breastfeeding it was devastating for me yeah to feed this poor baby formula yeah. when she wasn't gaining weight yeah and while we ended up breastfeeding I was so upset about it for such a long time not anymore. Yeah. I wasn't, you know, I, I realized like this is our story and yeah. I have a healthy kid. Yeah. But going through the like in the weeds with that stuff yeah. was yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, but when she did start eating solids, I mean, what was I? She did not have grains or a dairy until she was close to two years old. <laughs> um she didn't have eggs until she was after one, I think because it like gave her a little itchy thing. But right. I was making this kid chicken liver pate. <laughs> Um, so you, so you, she was raised in a French bistro. Yeah, which <laughs> listen again. You were like, here's liver, your duck offal. Right? Chicken liver is a fantastic first food for babies. Like, I'm not yeah. gonna sit here yeah. and make fun of like, I don't again, like, don't want to disparage. Like, yes, these are really great ways to feed your kid, and if you have the access to this stuff yeah. and the privilege to feed your kids these high nutrient yeah. things, is great. But in my mind and my psyche with this was like, if I don't do this the way that this says, yeah. and I wasn't even, you know, I wasn't even like referencing one book or one thing. I was kind of like putting together different information. Again, yeah. good information, most of it true, <laughs> but it was more the mental load of all of that yeah. built up in taking care of this baby yeah. on top of the mental load of me, like keeping myself healthy and all of the other things teaching, you know, going back to work. Yeah. So I was, like, she did eat a pretty restricted diet for yeah. a while. Yeah. Really probably until like two, three when birthday parties start happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there was, there was, there was a gradual kind of letting go of that mm-hmm. stuff. I think once I was confident that I had a healthy kid, mm. And I started to get slowly kind of pull back from that like control. But I think the control too, there's different stages of it, right? First, like as a kid by being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, yeah. control. And then kind of lost control for a while and then regaining control and mm-hmm. trying to like hang on mm-hmm. to like, okay, I need to control mm-hmm. this better. And then pregnancy, you try and control everything. Yeah. Newborn, you try and control everything. Yeah. And, you know, there was definite postpartum depression, anxiety. Yeah. And that's a lot of control-based things too, right? right? Like you're trying to control what you can control and everything feels like it's crashing. Um, So there was a gradual definite kind of like postpartum healing process and healing from needing to have control over this stuff. Um, But still, you know, there was still things that with her that I was really fearful of. Yeah. You know, I still was fearful that something was going to happen. Yeah. And she was going to end up with type 1 diabetes. I would check her blood sugar every now and then. Yeah. Um. We get yearly blood work for her still that checks her A1C to make sure she's at a pre-diet or, you know, a non-diabetic yeah. A1C. And we started doing that when she was one. I remember people being like, why are you getting blood work for a one-year-old? I was like, because 
I need to know. Yeah. I need I need confirmation right. that everything I just did for a year yeah. did not produce a diabetic yeah. one year old, right? Yeah. Even though she showed zero signs. Right. Of, and I right. remember Johanna, so yeah. our acupuncturist friend, <laughs> saying, you'll know. You'll know if she has signs of type 1 diabetes. It's <sighs> wasting and thirsting. You'll see if she's wasting. You'll see if she's thirsting. And I'd be like, eh, I don't know if I'll know. Yeah. Yeah. So there was definitely still this fear that I think, you know, other people didn't have that fear every day. Yeah. Right. So still this kind of like projecting, you know, that fear of, okay, there's this extension of me. Now what's your life going to be? Yeah. Because this is my life. Yeah. So. So that was Colette. Right. That's number one. But then you have (laughs) another baby. Yes. Well, so when I was pregnant with Stellan, I also had Colette, who's, who, how old was she then? Like three and a mm-hmm. half. Yeah. Um. So all of the very strict eating I was doing when I was pregnant with Colette, I was not doing with Stellan. Mm-hmm. I was not eating paleo. Um. I think I tried to eat lower, not, I don't like saying low carb because I wasn't, never doing any kind of like low carb keto thing, but like lower, um, like processed carbs, like right. trying to do like fiber, whole grains, like stuff that doesn't spike your blood sugar mm-hmm. as quickly because I could mm-hmm. manage it better. And I did have a CGM with Stellan. Mm. Um, and it was on my phone. It was an app on my phone. It was not the same one I have now, but it was great. Yeah. Um, it was especially great when I was in labor because that was Jimmy's job. He could be like, okay, the nurses would come in and he'd be like, their blood sugar is 116. <laughs> and he'd be like, okay, <laughs> let me know when you need me to tell you again. <laughs> Jimmy finally gets in on that. That was his, you know, it was good. That was his intro. It was mm. very good. Well, foreshadowing. Yeah, it was very good for Jimmy to have... Um, <laughs> something that he was in control of. So I wonder that. if you could tell us the story of the night where everything changed for that second baby. You want me to jump all the way there? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, let's just jump. Okay. Let's just jump. So it was COVID spring. Mm-hmm. It was the middle of May. And 2020, 2020, beginning of COVID. Yeah. Well, I know, but it didn't, I guess it is the beginning. It felt like the middle well, yeah. when it was May or the end. I don't know. We're like, yes, it's going to be summer. Um, so it was, it was May 15th. So everybody was remote. I'm teaching at Poughkeepsie High School at the time. And I, you know, we're posting stuff on Google Classroom, but my mom would take the kids. I wasn't doing live teaching, but my mom would take the kids like once or twice a week. Mm-hmm. Um, cause we were seeing them. She had been our childcare before we weren't seeing anybody else. Or my mom was like, please let me help you take the kids. And I was like, okay, okay. Take the kids. But I remember there being a point where I was like nervous, like, I don't want to get my parents sick. Yeah. But she was taking the kids probably like a handful of times mm-hmm. she would take them mm-hmm. so I could get some stuff done or I could whatever, all the things that need to happen. And you're stuck at home with your kids as you know. Um, <laughs> So I remember her texting me, it was a Friday, and saying, you know, someone was really cranky today. He was 15 months old and he was, you know, at that age where like, if you want food, you want food, right? Like I want a snack or I want a whatever. And um, she said he was really cranky today, but not because he was hungry. Like he wasn't getting cranky because he wanted to eat. It was, he he was really thirsty. Mm. And... I was like, oh, okay. Like, I didn't really think much of it, but it was also the first really warm day in May. Like, mm-hmm. it was 
warmer that day than yeah. it had been. Like it was, we would call it hot, right? right. My mom has this big porch. They're out playing in the sun. Right. She probably had him in like a diaper or nothing, right. like playing in a kiddie pool or something. It was that warm. Right. Um, so my mom and I are like texting, my, you know, we're like, oh, he's probably just hot or dehydrated or like needed more mm. water today because it's hot. He's not used to it being warm. Right. It was just winter. Right. So he gets home. Kids are home. I remember I gave him a bath. Clutz watching something, movie, like Friday night movie. And Jimmy had, no, he wasn't in his office because it was COVID. He had gone out grocery shopping. I think he had gone to Trader Joe's because mm-hmm. usually he would leave work and go to Trader Joe's on a Friday. Yeah. So even though he wasn't going into his office, he went out to Trader Joe's. So, and I think he only did that like twice during all of COVID. He's yeah. like, I'm going to go. I'm going to, we need this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so he was out. It was evening. I give Stellan a bath. And I let him run around. He had like rashes. He had eczema. And so I would always like let him have air and yeah. air everything out. And he'd always pee on something, right? He's 15 months old. He's yeah. running around. But he peed like three times in mm. 10 or 15 minutes. Mm. And it wasn't just like dripping pee on stuff as you're running around the living room. It yeah. was like puddles, yeah. tons of pee. So I ask, I'm like, mom, like what? I, I think I texted her. I'm like, did he drink a lot of water? I don't remember if I texted yeah. her, if I just thought this, like, yeah. did he drink a lot with like, in the afternoon after his nap or with dinner? So like I've done for Colette many times, if mm. something's been off or she had a weird stomach thing yeah. or, you know, her poop was a funny color. I'm like, let yeah. me just check your blood sugar. Yeah. Let's just yeah. see. Because you have so, that in your toolkit. So right, why not? I have yeah. it. It's information. Know, right. Yeah. Blood sugar fluctuations can happen, whatever. Yeah. So I go to, I think I brought him in his room to put a diaper on him. Yeah. And as I'm doing that, I check his blood sugar thinking like, whatever, it's going to be fine. I didn't, I had no anticipation of what it was going to be. Yeah. I was not like, I didn't have that, this like, holy shit, something's wrong. She's yeah. like, yeah, oh, you're peeing a lot. Let's check your blood sugar. Yeah. It was 510. And I will never forget, there's like, it's like, it was this out of body experience. Like I was looking at myself kneeling on the floor with him on the changing pad, unaware of what the hell was happening and me seeing this meter with this number on it. And the first there, there was that. And then I kind of like came back to myself and was like. Oh, something's wrong. He must have like applesauce on his finger. Let me try again. Oh, so because it seems unbelievable. Like high, unbelievable. high would be what? And he was acting fine. Right. He wasn't. He wasn't lethargic. He wasn't no. like yeah. And if my blood sugar is five hundred, like I will struggle to be functioning properly. Right. 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 Um, and he's a a twenty five pound fifteen month right. old. Right. 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 So. I get a different, or if I check again on that meter, I wipe off his finger with an alcohol swab to like sterilize, make sure nothing's on there yeah. and you're getting the actual blood reading and not something else. Yeah. Check it again. And it was 475, which it can fluctuate. The reading can fluctuate. Right. 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 So I did it again. I think two more times with different meters. So I have all these backups. Yeah. Um, and it was still high 400s, 500. And I'm looking at him. <laughs> course my mind is going like yeah i'm internally screaming but i'm like i know the parent i know exactly what's happening right now yeah um and he again he seemed fine yeah 
I, you know, put a diaper and pajamas on him. I called Jimmy and I'm not a caller. I don't call people. Yeah. (laughs) I text people. I'm very well aware. (laughs) Um, And he's like, what? He was like, I just gotten in his car. And I told him, I rattled off, blah, 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 blah. I just checked someone's blood sugar. It's this. We have to do this. I need you to stop at CVS and get ketone strips. Because that was my like adrenaline. Like if his blood sugar is that high, he could go into a diabetic coma because of ketoacidosis. Like I was kind of just, I didn't even, I wouldn't let myself go to the emotional part because I knew that again, I could have control over what I did medically next. Yeah. Right. So (laughs) called him, text a group chat of friends. And I'm like, I just said, this just happened. And some friends are trying to make me feel better and be like, oh, it's going to be fine. I bet it's nothing. Oh, I'm like, uh, no. And then one friend's like, I can come over. Do you mean come over so I can stay with Colette so you guys can go to the hospital? Um, and I right after I called Jimmy, I called my mom. So she came over and stayed with Colette. Um, but then I had another friend who was on this group chat. Um, her husband's a doctor. And she's like, let me have him call you. And so he calls me and I was not in a position to pick up the phone. But at the same time, grateful that people were trying to like help out. Right. Yeah. So, but this is all happening like so fast. I'm trying to figure out what the hell to bring to the emergency room during a fucking pandemic. Yeah. Right? Like what right. do you do? Right. 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 Um so he gets me on the phone. He's like, "Oh, you know, I think it's it's going to be okay. Like I have patients all the time whose blood sugars are high." And again, like I knew what was, I knew, yeah. I knew yeah. what was happening. All of these other things started coming to me. Yeah. Like I always knew he had some kind of, something was going on. He had eczema, he had stomach issues. Like I was always trying to piece these yeah. things together that yeah. he dealt with as an infant that are totally in hindsight now indicative of autoimmune disease or an immuno problem. Right. Right. Um, And I think like a couple people were like, what if he just has like reactive hypoglycemia? <laughs> I'm like, your blood sugar is not 500 (laughs) if you are hypoglycemic. And then, so anyway, but again, like, I'm like, well, meaning all these things, like, like more like stuff. And I was just like, okay. Meanwhile, I couldn't even look at my mom in the eye when she got there. Yeah. Um, She knew, I knew. (laughs) We were both like completely like, because. Jimmy didn't know. Jimmy did not know. Right? Like my mom had been there with me however many years ago and she knew. Um, and I knew kind of like, you know, all everyone says like, oh, well, you knew. So it was better. I'm like, no, no. it was worse. Right. It was worse because I that I knew. Right. I, like as much as I do not envy these parents following their infants toddlers little kids in an ambulance when they are crashing into a diabetic coma because their kidneys are failing right because they didn't catch it earlier like that wasn't Stellan's story or my story but like I knew like I knew I I, you know the whole like it was there right like the the future of whatever this is going to be like I knew right so 
Right, because maybe those parents still have like a, well, what happens next? You're like, oh, fuck, I right. know what well, happens when next. You're, when you're going, and, and again, like it is terrible no matter what. It's a whole yeah. learning curve. It's really, really hard going from zero, not knowing anything about type 1 diabetes to your kid is diagnosed and within a week, you have to know this shit. Yeah. You have to know what a CGM is. You have to, like, it's a lot. Yeah. But... Yeah. So Jimmy didn't know. And I remember like my mom, like stopping me and holding my shoulders and I'm just in a, I'm in go mode. I'm like the bag, we have the diapers, we have the onesies, we have this thing, we have this thing, we have my clothes. Which <laughs> Any single time I've had to go to the hospital, I've had to pack last minute because my kids decided to be born a month early before I had anything packed. <laughs> so, so you're it was good like at that, this. except I wasn't in labor, but I yeah. felt like, yeah. right? Like, I'm not getting a baby at the end of this. I'm getting a chronic disease for a toddler. Yeah. So um, I remember my mom like stopping me and just being like, I, sh- I don't even remember what she said. Maybe she said like, do you need to cry? Do you need? And I was just like, I got to, I got to get in the car. I have to go. Right. So my mom gives me a hug. Um, I remember sitting on the couch with, with Colette before I went and she's like zombied out on a movie. <laughs> It's, it's like seven, seven thirty PM at this point. And, uh, I told, I just told her, I said, Stellan might have diabetes. And she was like perked right up. Yeah. And I said, we have to go to the hospital. And then I think as I was packing things, she like got off the couch. She's playing with him. And cause again, he's sitting on the floor playing with my mom to yeah. look totally fine. I'm like waiting for something to happen Yeah. when your blood sugar is 500. And in hindsight, I could have given him some insulin. We have yeah. it, right? Yeah. But I didn't know how, how much insulin to give a 15-month-old. Yeah, like right. if it was, let's say it was Colette tomorrow, right? Because right. Colette could still, this could be Colette someday, right? right? And that's kind of like, yeah, it could. Um, I would not bring her to the ER. Right. I would use the tools that I have and I would feel like I could be in a place to troubleshoot it. But this was, this felt different. He yeah. felt like he was a baby. Yeah. Um. So anyway, so we go. And again, Jimmy didn't know. Yeah. He did not know. Um, and it was COVID. He couldn't come with us. Oh, God. So he checked into a hotel, like, nearby. And so we drove down. We drove about an hour, right, to Maria Ferrari, which is a children's hospital. And that's where I was went when I was diagnosed. Yeah. Before it was a children's hospital. But I just kind of knew, like, COVID, separate children's ER. Like, like we're going here. Yeah. this is where we're going we're not going yeah. somewhere else like i know that they know how to deal with this i know that yeah. they have an endocrinology team yeah um so yeah that was that day and uh i don't know and we were there for like four days and then jimmy had to learn how to use dexcom <laughs> right well Stalin didn't even get a dexcom right away oh so we how were you? doing finger pricks wow so on a 15 month old yeah and we had to do it overnight can fight you for a diaper change yeah. But you know what? Like he didn't care. Like, oh. I don't know. He didn't care. Yeah. yeah. He, of course now he's almost three and there's thing, you know, refuses, refuses to take a pull up off after his nap yesterday for four hours. <laughs> like, I wonder where he gets the stubbornness from both of my kids. Um, it's not my husband, but, uh, yeah. So we were doing finger pricks. Yeah. Um, and injections. Yeah. So before you're on an insulin pump, a lot of people stick with injections, but you have like one or two injections that are long acting insulin that kind of peak at different times of the day to keep your baseline up. And then you have to give short acting insulin to cover food. 
little spikes of gluten. Which is right. like carbs and fat and protein actually need insulin coverage too, but most people just carb count. Mm. So uh, we were doing that and it was, I remember like we moved Stellan's crib out of our room at like 11.75 months. Yeah. And this was 15 months and he had just started. And I think I remember thinking like, it's because he has more time with me, right? Like I have this time with him during the day and he's sleeping longer. And yeah. I, he finally started sleeping sometimes yeah. all night. Yeah. And then there I am sleeping on the couch because he was now downstairs. He was a different floor than yeah. us. Sleeping on the couch and setting an alarm for three times a night to go and check his blood sugar. Yeah. And sometimes he'd wake up and sometimes he wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think he got, see, that was May. I think he got on Dexcom by the end of June. So it wasn't that long, but it was still a good, you know, it was a lot. And you're not seeing trends of things when you're pricking. I'm not seeing in those two hours between one finger prick and the next right. what he's doing. Right. And what do the trends help you do? Do they help you sort of understand, ooh, you know what? That's the way he navigates eating pasta or something. Yeah, right. Or, so you can kind of see because damn it, I didn't give him enough water or something. Yeah, timing of and well, actually, water a CGM works more accurately if you're hydrated. Mm, wow. So often overnight, his will kind of glitch and lose signal and have an error because he's not as hydrated right, overnight, and he's right. a little body. For that doesn't right. happen for me. Right. Right. But he's a littler body. So his, he really needs to stay hydrated, which, you know, it was really fun during potty training, but I think <laughs> we're past that. But um, he really, yeah. So it shows you trends. So it can show you like if we're having, let's say, so like today, we went to the playground this morning. He's running around. He's like 120, 130, which is good. A good place to be when you're running around. Yeah. And he was like, it was after breakfast and he was still kind of coming down. But the CGM shows us like if he eats breakfast and he spikes up to 200, like we want to avoid that. So right. we adjust the different timing of the insulin. We adjust the carb ratio. It's all these different adjustments you can make. So he wanted, because the friends we were meeting at the playground were eating a snack. So this is one thing with a toddler. It's yeah. like other kids around you are eating snacks and you can't just eat a snack. Yeah. I mean, you can if it's, you can if it's certain things, right? So we do keep some keto-ish stuff around yeah. just be like here eat this but I had packed them a pumpkin muffin like an yeah. oat muffin and a baby bell cheese because they're obsessed right. with baby bell cheese <laughs> I need another baby bell he like goes in the fridge and gets them um, dude so do I oh my god one. they're so good <laughs> so as you can tell we now eat dairy <laughs> Stellan did not have any dairy before he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes yeah. and here we are. And here we are. Um, up, see? <laughs> and I'm, you know, I have now, I have stopped putting oat milk in my coffee Ooh. because I believe that some things need to be enjoyed in life. <laughs> and now I use half and half and I eat There cheese. you go. So, there you go. <laughs> um, and I, my blood sugar is fine. <laughs> so, um, but he wanted a muffin. Like he saw that there was a muffin because yeah. it was in the same thing. So I had to give him insulin. Mm. Um, because one thirty is like if you eat right at one thirty, you're gonna spike, and yeah, I didn't right, want to deal right. with this, right? So, and whereas also going into lunch, then if you're like going to a meal and your blood sugar is high, then you're kind of like constantly playing catch up with high blood sugars if you continue to eat before your blood sugar comes down. So mm. the Dexcom was able to show me. I gave him insulin. He has a fit about the muffin. I have to put the bag with the muffin on the other side of the fence so he's not trying to open it and get it. <sighs> 
And sad because, you know, another piece of this is like food issues. Yeah. Like I had food issues growing up. Right. I would sneak food. Right. Um, really had food issues for most of my life, I think, right. until recently. Right. Um, and that's something that I don't, you know, want to pr- want. So. Yeah. But so he's running around and I can see on the Dexcom that when his blood sugar starts going down. Yeah. Right. So I want to give him the muffin when it starts going down so he doesn't go too low and the muffin catches it and he evens out. Right. So it's like the insulin kicks in and then you have the muffin and then the carbs and you want the insulin. It's kind of like driving stick shift. Yeah. You've got to have the clutch and the gas yeah. like just right. Right. To keep it steady. Or and else you burn the clutch. Right. Yeah. So I did not get it right for the snack. He was 122 going like slight arrow down. Mm-hmm. I should have given him the muffin then, but he was like in the middle of something. So I'm like, all right, like when he comes back around, I'll give it to him. But by then he was like this at Whoa. 110. And the muffin, yes, it's like 30 carbs because there's raisins, but it's it's not fast acting carbs. Far, it's yes. pumpkin, oats. Right. There's, I don't know what else is in there, but it's like fibery, right? right like it's right. like a stabilizing it's take kind a of minute. food, right? It's going to take your body a minute right. to prop. Yeah. So I had to, you know, so we had the muffin, went and played again. His blood sugar is still low. You know, it's still going down yeah. and I'm waiting for it to even out. It's still going down. So then we end up getting in the car to leave and uh, he's still low. So I give him like a little applesauce pouch in the car yeah. because I was like, I could have pricked his finger to see if he was coming up because there is yeah. a lag on the CGM, yeah. but we're trying to like leave the playground. I'm yeah. trying to go yeah. and all this, you know, his hands are dirty. Yeah. So, uh. I just was like, here, here's an applesauce pouch. Because I just yeah. didn't want to do the other step. Yeah. And then he went high. And then, and then he went high. Then he went high. So he probably was fine. Like, I probably did get right. the muffin right. Yeah. But on the CGM, he was going low. So I don't even remember what your question was for this. But, oh, for the CGM, how how it's helpful. Well, yeah. yeah. So you, see, you yeah. see how your insulin timing is. You see, like, he's running around. I could, I could, let's say I didn't give him insulin for muffin. I could see if he started dipping from exercise and like catch it and like yeah. give him something yeah, to catch him from like plummeting low. Um, and I do that for me. Like I can kind of feel if I'm going low, I'll sometimes feel it around 80, sometimes not until 60. Mm. But let's say I'm 80 and I feel fine. I know that I'm steady. If mm. I'm 80 and I kind of feel like my blood sugar is low, means you're dipping. I know that I'm lower than this says right. and I'll like shove some candy or something in my mouth. Mm. So um, it's trends. It's really helpful for overnight because it'll, like if he starts spiking, I can give mm. him insulin before he gets too high. If he starts going low, I can go like he'll suck down an applesauce pouch in his sleep. Yeah. Or juice or something. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And that's his life and your life. Yeah. And forever. he'll hear his low alarm. Yeah. Go, oh, my blood sugar is low. <laughs> and then one day I was like, yeah. So I'm trying to talk with him about how it feels because yeah. he's super verbal. Yeah. He talks a lot. He thinks everybody has diabetes. Aww. And one night at the dinner table, he's like, I got diabetes. I'm like, yeah, me too. He's like, and Dada? No, said, not no. Dada. He goes, Colette does. I'm like, no, Colette doesn't. Just me and you. <laughs> because we have the same tech. Like yeah. now we have the same insulin pump. We have the yeah. same yeah. thing, which he thinks is cool. And he has met, um, who has he met? He sees pictures of other kids. There's yeah. a lot, you know, lots right. of diabetic all kids all over Instagram. Moms. But he, he has met one other little girl who has a Dexcom. Um, so I try and tell him like, okay, when your blood sugar is low, you kind of feel icky and you kind of, yeah. he will say, I'm so hungry. Yeah. His blood sugar is low. He says, I'm so hungry. Aww. I'm so very, very hungry. <laughs> very and then he said, and when I'm high, I beep. 
<laughs> and it's true. He, he has, so the low alarm is like, burr, 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 but the high alarm we have set is just like a, a single beep. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, when your blood sugar is high, you beep. That's what happens. And then you need insulin. Yeah. So do you think now that there was that fear, right? You were vigilant with Colette and it came true, right? With, with right. Stellan, do you feel less vigilant? Do you feel you've softened? Do you feel? I think that, I mean, I think the vigilance slowed down long before Stellan was diagnosed. Mm. And I think it was a combination of the reality of parenting, Yeah. right? Like you don't have control over anything right um it was a lot of like a healing of anxieties i think yeah that got rid of some of that and i just i feel like i finally and i don't know if it's because of stalin's diagnosis or i think it's a i think it's a bunch of different factors but like i don't freak the fuck out if somebody doesn't get their vitamin d supplement in the morning you know like i just <laughs> think i just think i've become a lot more of a realist yeah you know like as important as i still think you know these things are and yeah there are preventative measures to take yeah. to prevent autoimmune disease like stellan was so little yeah right, right. like and then i don't know like i don't know the how much of a genetic component he had right he could have been born with type 1 diabetes and I just didn't know it. And you this know? was the first time you caught. Right. A, I mean, a, a I just high. don't know. Like what? Right. Um, and I actually did ask in the hospital if they did genetic testing. And the nurse, I think it was an NP, like in, in the endocrinology office. She's like, well, we don't do that because it doesn't change the treatment. Mm. And I said, yeah, but I just would like to know. Mm. Right. I would like to know. I think it's also, I think as Stalin is older, I, th I think it's important for him to know. I think yeah. I would have liked to know growing up mm. how much of a chance I had to pass it on. I don't even right. know if they know that. I don't know if there's an isolated gene. Right. Um, I remember someone mentioning like, oh, well, if Stalin has type 1 diabetes mainly from genetics, that means that Jimmy also has some like genetic role. So I don't know if that's true. Right. Um, I would have to delve into that further. And I know that like there's a part like a 23 and me kind of mm -hmm. route you can take yeah. with that there is a test um it's like a federal funded thing called trial net mm. where we could have Colette tested um and it tests specifically for insulin antibodies mm. so when you are diagnosed with type 1 diabetes the true diagnosis comes from you have a certain number of insulin antibodies and that's proof that your immune system has attacked your insulin beta cells. Right. Um, so I still have insulin antibodies, right? Like it's like certain thyroid conditions, mm -hmm. right? Like you have thyroid antibodies. Your immune system is attacking parts of your thyroid. Right. So in type one diabetes, your immune system, the there's a trigger, which is usually a virus or something. Mm -hmm. It could be trauma, like mm -hmm. Robin Arzone, the, uh, I was knocking my microphone. <laughs> Robin Arzone, the Peloton instructor, yeah. she had this extremely traumatic near-death experience before she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Wow. Yeah, she was held hostage at gunpoint. Wow. So and then you could argue that like that could have been her trigger. Right. Because she, right. I believe, was diagnosed when she was in her 20s. Wow, that's way late
was the story. We're going to so have to at be, her. Yeah, we have in to the pod, her, right? in the podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> some people get in car accidents and are dying. So actually this wow. one mom I met through Instagram, she flipped her car with her two month old baby and her other son in the car and they were both fine. But her son, the two month old was hanging in his car seat and turned blue. <gasps> so, so there's no set trigger, right? Like for right. me, my pediatrician thought it was like, I got the flu that year and the flu strain that year right. triggered a lot of type 1 diabetes. Right. COVID is triggering a lot of type 1 diabetes, yeah. right? There's these viruses where immune system gets so screwy yeah. that if you have, if you're predisposed or there's other things going on, right. it will trigger an autoimmune right. response. Colette, if we got her tested, it would test for antibodies because sometimes yeah. you will have antibodies for years before mm. they do enough damage to your insulin beta cells. Got it. Yep. It's not your pancreas. People will say like, oh, your pancreas is useless or your pancreas gets attacked. It's not the whole organ. Your yeah. pancreas still does other things. It's just that you cannot, you're, you know, your pancreas gives up on producing beta cells because they keep getting killed. Because they keep getting killed. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you'd be able to see if she has a certain amount of those antibodies and if they're like doing that job of killing those We betas. wouldn't know what they were doing. Uh, so here's the thing. Some people get their other kids tested and it says you have five out of eight of the antibodies and then you start freaking out, yeah. right? Like when's the ball gonna, when's the other shoe gonna drop? Uh, that sounds like what we were talking about earlier, like the too yeah. much information. Right. So, and I've always been the person who wants all of the information, yeah. right? I, I, I want the information, yeah. but I don't want that information. Right, that information. And I might. remember when Jimmy and I learned about that test and we talked about it and I think he thought I would want to do it. Yeah. I'm, I don't know. If, I don't know if he thought that, but I'm assuming <laughs> because of how I love information in other ways. Right. But I mean, like we did food allergy testing on Claude yeah. as a toddler just yeah. to see if she had food allergies because it was like, right. I was trying to almost, I feel like confirm why I was feeding her the way I was feeding her. Oh, yeah. Um, and listen, she's a super healthy kid and she eats whatever and yeah. she has a great appetite. So I don't, you know, I would never take back feeding her these like interesting diverse right. things as a baby. Right. And I fed Stellan similar as a baby. Like I think and, it's still really cool if right. you can do that. Yeah. So yeah, so some people get their kids tested and they have antibodies. It could mean that they're diagnosed with type 1 diabetes next week or it can mean that they never ever are. Right. So then, so, so then, I what did you then, just do with that do? information? I'm gonna go through every day and wrap my kid in bubble wrap, Ugh. or like be freaked out anytime she gets a virus, thinking like this is gonna this trigger is gonna type be the diabetes. one, right? So I can't go there. Right. I don't want. And Jimmy, when we talked about this, was like, "No, I don't want to yeah. know that." And I, she overheard us actually, yeah. because she is, you know, once in a while she'll be like, "Well." what if I get diabetes? And yeah. I'm just very, and I've explained to her how it works. And I said, yeah. well, you might someday, but you also very well may not. Right. You know, I know that's maybe not super yeah. definitive, but, yeah. and I remember she was hearing us talk about this. And I said, well, there's a test that like, like someday if you want to do this, you could do it. And she's like, I want to do it right now. Oh, interesting. She's, she's actually very interested in anything yeah. medical. Yeah. My mother-in-law's a nurse practitioner and yeah. like in, talks to her a lot about yeah. different cool yeah. stuff that she gets to do at yeah. work. And she's brought home like suture kits and had Colette like practice stitching. Yeah. So Colette's really into it. But so I, I told her, I said, you know, if you're older and want to do it, then sure. But I'm not yeah. doing it right now. Not doing, no. <laughs> I'm not doing it right now on the no. heels of the diabetic toddler. So, yeah. So, I mean, we still do like, we still do her blood work. Yeah. 
She does yearly blood work. Her A1C is fine. She will not let me check her blood sugar anymore, <laughs> um, which I have asked a couple of times. Like there's yeah. been times I'm like, dude, like you're freaking out. What's Let's going on? Let's check that one. <laughs> but yeah. I've actually, at one point I tried to get her to wear a Dexcom, which some people do. They put it on their non-diabetic kids, but then they freak themselves out when their kid goes like above 140 wow. when it's normal. Like if you when, had it on. Yeah. It's normal to have fluctuations yeah. in blood sugar. So. Right. But I'm like, right. don't you want to try one? She's like, no, 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 don't, don't come near me with that. I'm like, Stellan does it. She's like, I don't care. And then I'm like, yeah, actually, it's ridiculous. Actually, yeah, like, this you is don't, getting... You don't need Right, this. right. Um, so I don't think the fear is there. I yeah. think that in that hospital stay, yeah. you know, I there was a lot of loss. And like there continues to be grieving. Like yeah. I remember, you know, Jimmy was in there. I remember texting Jimmy and like kind of once in a while in the like updates back and forth, like trying to be like, what the fuck? And yeah. I had a couple of thoughts. One was there goes Stone's childhood and toddlerhood, Ugh. right? Like I was just getting out of that. Like, you know, the, new, yeah. the fog of having yeah. a newborn yeah. and getting a little more sleep and like yeah and I you know I you know all stages of babyhood and parenting and childhood have their great things and their not so great things but like I felt like coming out of like I don't have an infant anymore and like the top and just I knew like this is gonna be shit yeah this is I am not going to enjoy this toddler yeah. I'm not. And it's very hard for me, you yeah. know, like, yes, of course I enjoy many things about Stellan. Yeah. But, um, it's hard. It's harder. It's hard to enjoy going to the playground. Right. Because it's friends. now a chore with the thing and the muffin right. and the thing. And you got to, right. and, oh, you got to navigate that the other friend is eating a snack. And now you have to watch your, your kid go like, I wanted that too. And you're like, Fuck, that yeah. just started a fight. We should have just stayed home. Right. And it's not like that every time. Right. But it is enough yeah. to be like super annoying. Yeah. And then the other thing that I remember thinking was like, this sucks for Colette. And it does. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes that's more than the diabetic toddler because at right. this point, Jimmy and I are on like autopilot. Right. And um, right. you have to interview Jimmy obviously next. <laughs> but he really, and I was, and I was worried about like, is I'm is this gonna be another thing that I add to my mental load? Right, right. And I think there was this like, you know, him being home and not there. Yeah, he repainted an entire bathroom while he was home out of stress, <laughs> right? Because he couldn't do anything. Talk about like having control. He right. had zero control, right? Like. <laughs> He's like, the diabetic ones are doing their thing. I can at least be in a bathroom. <laughs> right, right, which is exactly what he did. I was worried that he was, this was going to be too much. Yeah. Like, how do you, and I was thinking like, how do I teach you this? Yeah. But he did, he figured he, it out. And I actually remember the NP at the hospital. I asked her, you know, she's going through all this stuff with me. And I'm like, I don't need this. I don't need this book. I don't need this stuff. Yeah. I need you to call my husband yeah. and talk to him on the phone for two hours yeah. and teach him about this stuff because yeah. I cannot, I, I cannot, I am not going to teach him how to do this right now. I can't do yeah. it. And she's like, whoa, that's such a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it never got set up. But I think that me asking him, do you want to do this? 
do you want to have somebody explain this to you? And he was like, oh my God, yes, please. Yeah. That at least opened up the like, you got to figure this you out. You got to figure this out. Yeah. So, um, and he did. And he did. Um, I think it was just little, little like, I remember he got home and he's like, I don't know how to draw up insulin. Can you show me how to draw up insulin? Yeah. And he would do it. And I think that my, I very quickly, and I think also COVID, we're all home together. Like I was forced to have a lot more patience with every single person in my family, <laughs> including my that husband. That sounds actually the worst part of the story. <laughs> well, look, look, like we, you know. I'm, I'm joking, of I course. I think that there was like so many things mm. that... I chose not to make into an argument yeah. because we're all stuck home together. Yeah. And then this, you know, toddler diabetes happened and I was like, all right, I have to dig even deeper <laughs> and have, you know, more patience. So I remember him like trying to drop the insulin and he was nervous yeah. and me. And I think this is maybe where a lot of parents of type one diabetic kids are both together like both yeah. really nervous both yeah. like what if i fuck up the insulin right, dose right and me i'm like eh, whatever there's an air bubble he'll be fine because right. i'm like i know i'm fine with an air bubble right or i'm right. like eh, whatever you give him you do you draw it up a little wrong and he goes a little low you just give him some like i had this kind of like okay i can like he's yeah. not gonna die because they didn't read me the list of ways your kid can die because they're like you know right right and I was like, right. I'm not even going to go there. My, you know, like they're yeah. very extreme things and yeah. they do it to help you understand how dangerous a little how, blood sugar can yeah. be and how dangerous yeah. this can be because yeah. people have zero context. Right. Um, but that was a big, that's a, been a big thing that Colette is the sibling yeah. of, and the same thing for Colette. He is not an infant anymore. I yeah. could go out with her and do things with her more. Yeah. You know, she was an only child for four and a half years. Yeah. You know, and she still has a really hard time with making sure she has enough one-on-one time with each of us. Yeah, because she um, feels like he has yeah, and she a very say, different one-on-one time with you guys. She does. He yeah. does, yeah. And yeah. she'll say all the time, nobody pays attention to me. I remember, so that was May. The following August, we went to Cape Cod. And multiple times on that trip, she said, everybody hates me, nobody loves me. Ugh. And it was this like, because we were dealing with freaking insulin injections on the beach. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that is, that has been a really big thing that we're constantly aware of too. Yeah. This is your life like forever now. Yeah. Like whether it's conversations with the attention being on him, whether it's the fact that you're now going to watch him be a teen. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's so, and it is so different, right? Like the independence level that I had probably was not healthy for me to do right yeah um so it's all gonna it's gonna be different it's an ongoing kind of fluid thing maybe you get to like revisit the way you navigated it right through watching him something like that (laughs) thanks for sharing your story with us thank you i'll see you later A huge thanks to Fiona for sharing her story with us, for all the ways she was candid and vulnerable and precise in her storytelling. Before we go, I just want to share a few statistics about insulin, which, as you might know or have gleaned from our talk, is the life-saving medicine diabetics need to stay alive. So number one, since the 1990s, the cost of insulin has increased over 1,200%. 
spending by patients has almost doubled between a time span as short as 2012 to 2016. So it went from $2,900 to $5,700 a year for their insulin needs. That's a lifestyle change. That's an extra job. And lastly, one of every four patients with type 1 diabetes has had to ration their insulin due to cost, scarcity, and many of these patients die via this act of rationing. For more information about type 1 diabetes, specifically about the fatal price gouging tactics of manufacturers, please go to t1international.com and thanks for listening. That Wasn't Supposed to Happen is produced by Doug Wartell at Spillway Street Studio here in Red Hook, New York. Artwork by Natalie Ranganeshi. Hosted by me, Heather Delamore. If you or someone you know has a story to tell, please reach out to us at supposedtohappenshow at gmail.com. I'll never say anything happens for a reason, but it is reason enough to talk about it. Look, see.